Welcome to the Qualitox Podcast. I'm Ian Kugler, your host, and this is the first part of my talk with Matthew Lancaster. Matthew is the head of quality and regulatory pharma recruitment at EPM Scientific. In this episode, Matthew will demystify the world of headhunting in the pharmaceutical industry. You will also learn how to distinguish an excellent recruiting consulting from a bad one and maximize the cooperation for maximum value for all sides. Hi, Matthew. Welcome to the Qualitex podcast. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, happy uh, to have you uh, on, the, uh, on the show. And um, I want to talk to you about uh, recruiting because yep. it's um, really uh, fascinating. And I think there are a lot of misconceptions and a lot of uh, mystery there from the side of the people who uh, are looking for jobs. Yeah. And uh, you are doing recruiting in the uh, pharma, pharmaceutical environment, right? I am, yeah. I focus on the pharmaceutical industries. I've been doing it for about four years now. Great. And uh, the reason I wanted to talk specifically uh, with you, it's uh, because uh, one time we had uh, some, uh, a bit of work relationship uh, uh, because of we some did, position. Yeah. And uh, I found our uh, work, this, uh, um, this engagement to you was uh, really great it was uh, i would say especially different from many other interactions that i had with other recruiters yeah and it was really fun to work it with you and i really felt that you cared and you asked the right questions and you follow up followed up to make sure that i'm comfortable that i know what i'm doing you gave me advice and so on and it felt really great so i'm really happy uh, to talk to you about um, this whole issue and uh, i think it's really interesting because i think many people also have less uh, positive experiences uh, with recruiters so it's uh, yeah. would be interesting to understand uh, why is that uh, so i think we could also speak about the world of the recruitment and then move into the um, pharma world to see how yeah Maybe you can give some advice on the, or share some light that would help other people in the in this world uh, to get uh, the right job to, for them and um, get a bit of information yeah. about what's going on there. So uh, uh, from your perspective, uh, what is the role of a good uh, recruiter? So from my perspective and in my belief, the role of a good recruiter, um, particularly, so first of all, I don't call myself a recruiter. I call myself okay. a consultant. Okay. Um, and the reason that is, is because, yes, we do do recruitment, mm -hmm. but we are recruitment consultants. So we help consult our clients and our candidates through recruitment processes because what we essentially do is offer career advice as well. Mm -hmm. So there's different tiers to recruitment. So you have your general recruitment consultants who do you know, lower-level, entry-level positions mm -hmm. like university students. Then you have people at our level, which is our management, more senior. And then you have your executive searches who do like CEOs, et cetera. Um, so there's different understandings of recruitment at that level, because if you're a graduate, you, you are essentially just a recruitment consultant because you're just getting them a job, essentially their first job. Um, executive recruitment, they, they're more networking little black books, so to speak. It's ex-industry people, very senior, mm -hmm. who know names. Um, where we as we actively headhunt people and offer them 
opportunities that are improvements on their current situation. So, so we don't just... Headhunters is a, a name or is it more of a nickname, would you say? <sighs> It, it depends. It depends on what kind of side of the fence that you're on because the, head, the word headhunter has different connotations, different meanings. So essentially, I call myself a headhunter because I work in a very candidate sparse market and I have to proactively headhunt people who are already in employment and network with them to create a warm relationship with them to essentially get them a, a new or better job. So for me, in a candidate-driven market, my market is my candidates. Mm -hmm. So that is what makes the relationship and the networking so important. As you mentioned before, you know, the reason why we're having this call is because you and I had a very good relationship and experience, positive one, a few years ago. And that's why it's important in recruitment to ensure that you are creating partnerships for that level because it's not just recruiting someone for the short term, but you want to create relationships for them for the future. And that's why we consider ourselves as consultants because we advise them on what decisions would be in their best interest. Mm -hmm. So you, a lot of yeah. So you mentioned um, correctly. So we had uh, this uh, work relationship like a few years ago, yeah. and uh, still, uh, you were in my mind. And if I needed the job now, I would come to you. Although I, yeah. um, I'm being approached by so many recruiters uh, during uh, the years, and I was approached uh, on a weekly, sometimes even daily basis, but they are not in my mind. I wouldn't uh, now uh, call them and ask uh, uh, for consultation, but I would uh, yeah. really come to you. So it's really interesting to understand why, why is it uh, different, and is it because yeah. of the company where you work? Or it's your personal um, engagement with uh, uh, with um, your clients. I I think it's uh, both because the the way our business model works, we are a micro specialist niche recruitment company, and there are others who do that, um, but there are few and far between. And because I specialize in quality. I'm constantly networking in that area. And that's why you and I were connected because I would be much more relevant to you as a consultant in your quality area in the pharmaceutical industry than just any old recruiter who's just emailing you for any old job. And that's half of the battle that, we, that I have to also manage with new people that I connect with. Because a lot of the time I get an email or a response saying, unless you have something tangible, I'm not interested in speaking with you. Most of the time I do, because I don't like wasting people's time. But if I see good candidates or good contacts that I want to network with, I also have to navigate around, well, I may not have something now, but it's still worth connecting because I'm constantly networking in your area. And if we mm -hmm. can have something tangible in the future, and I know exactly yeah. what that is, well, I'm going to save you time in the future. And I think that because a lot of people are in work and because a lot of people enjoy their job like the vast majority of people love their jobs who i had hunt you know if the best candidates usually do if they didn't it made my job a lot easier believe me but one thing i always have to clarify is is that i'm not trying to recruit you out of your headhunt you out of your current job because you hate it i'm trying to network with you to understand if there's something could be better because one thing that i find is 
most people don't really have time to look outside what's there. And yes, they, they may enjoy that, but they, they don't know what's on the other side and what could be potentially better. Yeah. So we offer also consultation on those as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all what you said um, sounds really uh, good. What you said, it's, it's the perfect world that you get approached for the right opportunities. So yeah. As I said, I had a uh, really lot of experiences with different recruiters. And um, unfortunately, when I look at uh, some of my engagement with uh, with them, it was more of um, being approached by a, a car, car salesman or a, a seller really? or a marketer. And I, because I feel that they have no idea what they're doing and what they're looking for, and they're just uh, yeah. uh, shooting arrows in the dark uh, wh- yep. i'm saying that they i get a lot of emails with proposals that have no meaning uh, and they sometimes waste your time so yep. for example i uh, just as i started my career i was uh, approached by people uh, call me uh, oh i have a great job for you uh, head of uh, the quality department you'll have to manage uh, 50 seniors. And I'm saying, okay, I, I don't believe I'm there yet. No, no, no. Yes. No, I, I believe that this company, they're uh, all about finding the right person to um, teach them and uh, develop them. And I think you're perfect and blah, blah, blah. And they convince you, okay, waste your time, write the CV, write the letter, and then you never hear uh, from them. And unfortunately, many of such um yeah, uh, such people that approach you, uh, the recruiters, they come with uh, such irrelevant um, yeah. information and uh, irrelevant jobs. Right? But with, with you, it wasn't like that. It was uh, really pinpointed, and uh, I yeah. think that that's uh, that's the difference. And I think you you mentioned something that is one of my personal greats as well. Is when you said, "I don't think I'm right there," then, and then the recruiter pushed back and said, yeah. "No, I think you're perfect." Mm-hmm. They haven't listened to what you've said. All they have seen is you as a CV to send, to hit a number. But they haven't really listened to what you have said. Yeah, yeah. And they haven't really understood that this isn't right for you. And that is one of the challenges that I have to navigate through again, through the industry, because again, like the experience that you've had, they get contacted for irrelevant positions. They then get persuaded or sometimes they can feel bullied into doing it when they didn't really want to and they never get a response or Mm. they never get heard back again and then and then they rightly get annoyed at the industry and unfortunately there are more recruitment consultants like that than there is good ones and it's unfortunate because it gives a a bit of a bad bad name for the industry because i believe that uh, working with a recruiter is should be beneficial for both and it's it could be a really great relationship because yeah. everybody gets something for it so it should be yeah. a win-win-win situation uh, uh, yeah. all over and not uh, like a sales uh, pitch that uh, wastes uh, time or both of the yeah. uh, time of the recruiter and the and the person who does it and sometimes yeah. uh, you think okay the recruiters are uh, sometimes you want them there, but sometimes you don't because you feel they waste your uh, time. Uh, yeah. But as you said, it's better to have some long-term relationship where uh, the person understands your needs. And then yeah. uh, they, they can follow up and they know 
what you, your next stage in the career is. Yeah, and there are a lot of good recruiters as well that I know of. And one, one of the battles that I also have is trying to network with other candidates who have great relationships with other recruiters because they've been so successful before. Mm -hmm. So it can work both ways as well, yeah. where I'm competing against other good recruiters to try and network with that person or find them a position that that other recruiter can't. And trying to break down that barrier can be equally as difficult, but that is unfortunately a, a doesn't happen as often as the other side. But people do recognize, I feel, the value in recruitment agencies and recruiters, but th they have more bad experiences than positive ones. And I think one of the things that I, because I've worked with the same company since I joined. So I came from uh, university straight into recruitment mm -hmm. with the same company at EPM Scientific. I, I also don't see the other side of recruitment agencies as well or how they work because I've never been in another agency or another firm. I have had friends who have left and gone to other agencies and said they haven't, it's not the same experience. So I'm still shocked at some of the, the feedback that I get from candidates as well or, or, or the clients that I get as well because it's just so alien to what I do and what my team does and what we do as a business. Now, I'm not saying we're perfect. I, I know that you know we can't have every single relationship mm -hmm. has gone rosy, because you know we're still working with human beings and expectations can be mismanaged or miscommunication and it does happen um but for me i'm still surprised to this day that there is a lot of negative comments on recruiters um which is a shame really because as you've mentioned we are here for a purpose our motto at epm scientific is to change people's lives for the better which I think is really quite nice. And, and for the pharmaceutical industry and the life science industry that we were recruiting, is, there's nothing more poignant because we're working with people who have an indirect or direct impact on patient safety and patient lives. But also it can, it's relative to recruitment because we work with people who may not have realized that they could have had something better because what we strive towards is improving that person's situation whether that's professionally practically i.e you know cutting their commute time by three hours having a job more local to their home which means their work-life balance is is much better than what it was financially you know we always strive to get the best possible packages for our candidates because that's how it works in an agency so we have a percentage fee on the final package, but we're not here to tell people what they want to hear. And we're not here to pander to people because at the end of the day, it's their careers and it's their choices. And if their expectations are way too high, we have no issues in saying that your expectation has to be managed. If you really want this position, it needs to change. And money shouldn't be the main factor. For people to move particularly in this industry if it is that's absolutely fine that's absolutely fine i'm not saying that, that it's not but we strive to get to know the person from a professional point of view and a pr practical point of view of what could be better and if a financial upward mobility is possible of course we can strive towards that um but it's not always possible particularly in an industry in the pharmaceutical industry which is <sighs> 
changing that they no longer have to compete on offering 25%, 30% increases on salaries. Changing and expectations have resulted in investment in development, offering external courses for training, flexible working. You know, these are all different benefits that our people are looking for now rather than just a massive increase in salaries. So the companies have, have been able to offer these to different people. And if they can see the value in that, then usually, you know, financials is usually secondary. And the most of the people that I speak with say to me, as long as I can maintain the same standard of living, that I'm still able to do all the things that I'd like to do and X, Y, and Z, they're usually very happy. Usually. Now, I think that's specific to the life science industry, maybe more specific to my area in quality. Um, it may be different in sales because we do marketing and sales as well. Um, I'm not sure because I've never done that side before. So it can change. So it can still be relative. And of course, I think if you were to look at the financial industry, then the priorities are going to be very different. I think I could guess that salary would be a main driver for a lot of people in that industry. Um, but again, that's, that's absolutely okay because everyone is different. We understand that each individual is different. They're at different stages in their lives. They have different priorities. They have different circumstances which may determine different decisions. They may have families. They may have dependable people. They may not be able to relocate for X, Y, and Z. And that's where it comes to the, the relationship that we have with our candidates, that we understand what is going to be beneficial. If I was to come to you and say I have a position in Munich, at that time, I don't know whether your situation changed, but at that time, that wouldn't have been interesting for you. Mm, yeah. So that was just a massive waste of time yeah, for everyone. So you really needed to balance if the people have families, if they're ready to relocate, if they prefer money or or career advancement, and, and, and so on. But it's true. Absolutely. And, and this is mm -hmm. where the difference lies between, I believe, good practice and bad practice, because... These are people, and <laughs> first and foremost, mm -hmm. these are people, and we have no influence on the decisions that they make. Yeah. None yeah. at all. Yeah. If I if I could make decisions for you, Jan, I wouldn't be doing recruitment. Believe me, I'd be doing something else. But what what we do as a consultancy is help advise them mm -hmm. on their options. So help advise how, them. So what's your advice? How can recruiters and uh, candidates work uh, much better uh, together? What's your uh, uh, advice from for both sides? My advice would be is for uh, first from the, from a recruitment consultant's point of view is be transparent and honest. If you don't have a job for them, explain to them, look, I don't have a job for you. I just wanted to reach out to you because you're a highly specialist person of interest in an industry that I network in. I see value in our partnership or our network because of X, Y, and Z. Don't just pretend that you have a job to get their CV. That is one of the biggest greats that people in the industry have because they can tell that you just want something. Mm. Yeah. So be transparent and be honest. Don't Give them the big sales pitch. Add value. Yeah, start with value. Yeah. yeah, have purpose. 
make the person know that you're reaching out to them specifically and not just them for anything yeah. because, because you came across it's correct because sometimes it really um, annoys me and bugs me and uh, I lose a bit of trust in those uh, people uh, they when you especially when they reach you on LinkedIn and then they start asking you questions and they ask you to send them the CV and you you understand they didn't even read what you have on the on LinkedIn page so they yeah. Uh, they were la uh, or uh, too lazy or just uh, didn't care uh, really to read it. Uh, they just yeah. want to uh, for you to do the job for them yeah. and uh, add your uh, CV to their database. Absolutely. I have a, I have a case, uh, an example that happened just this week. So I'm working on a, a global head of quality position in the GCP area. Mm -hmm. And GCP, GCP is even more niche than GMP. And reaching out to people from a gcp background i managed to headhunt the, this this candidate from a company who i rang up in the office as i usually do and he's the first thing he said was look i just want to stop you there just to be very clear i am g i am gcp i am not mm -hmm. gmp a lot of recruiters have mistaken my background for gmp I just want to be clear, if you want me for a QP position or a GMP position, I am not your person, so don't waste my time. Mm -hmm. So immediately, he was, already, he was already frustrated that I had yep. contacted him. Before I'd even been able to explain who I was, why I was contacting him, X, Y, and Z, and which happens a lot. So you learn to get a thick skin quite quickly in recruitment because you can understand that these people are frustrated. I also recognize that I have called them at work, and it's probably not the best time to speak, which I recognize because I always ask to get a call back when it's more in a private setting for them. And I can understand his frustration because it does happen a lot. And I just said that, look, first of all, thank you for speaking with me. Secondly of all, I can appreciate you probably do get contacted quite a lot for different matters because it does happen. But I just want to assure you that I am contacting you for a GCP position. I am calling you because of your background in a clinical research band mm -hmm. setting. Mm -hmm. I have a position as a head of quality in GCP. Look, just so that you know, I don't. I'm not wasting your time. I want to send you the job description. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's a great if a recruiter would uh, call and the first thing he would say, okay, I, uh, I um, read about you. I've uh, studied your uh, background, and yep. I. And there is a reason I'm calling you. It's uh, not to waste your time. And uh, if they can say, and they can prove a bit, okay, you're, you have this, this, and this experience, and you would be, because of that, you would be perfect for this job and not uh, uh, just um, a blind um, arrow in the, yeah. In the so one, one, one word that I avoid, mm -hmm. and I advise my team to avoid, is yeah. using the word perfect. There's no such thing as a yeah. perfect job. Mm -hmm. But it's so easy to use that word. It's so easy to use that word. And it, when you use the word perfect, people immediately get, get a bit annoyed because you're talking to a stranger. Mm. Deception is everything. Yeah. You don't know that person. You don't understand what the situation is or what they're looking for. So you have no understanding of what perfect means to that person. Not only mm. do they obviously push back and say, well, there's no such thing as a perfect job because there's always something that could be improved. These people are always ambitious. These people are always looking for something that could be better. Not that they're perfectionists, but 
they work in an industry that is imperfect. You know, there's always room for improvement. Manufacturing, for example, you can never get to 100% of lean manufacturing because there's always something to improve. Working in quality in particular, there's always something to improve. There's always new challenges. So there's always something that they can improve as well. And I think one thing, again, to advise other recruiters is that never assume that you know what they want because you have no idea. If this is a cold call mm. and you're trying to build a relationship with that person, remember you are a stranger to them. Recognize that you don't know them, but explain to them that you are contacting them for a relevant piece, i.e. I saw your background on LinkedIn in X, Y, and Z. I think it would be a great fit for this position that I'm working on. Now, I appreciate you may not be actively looking or you're not interested in a new role, but I would be look interested to speak with you for five, 10 minutes for an introductory conversation. If you're not interested, you've only spent a few minutes, you can get a free consultation on the current job market or salary benchmarking adding value, you know, adding something that may give them an insight to the industry as well. Because if they're on a salary of, say, 100,000 euros for the, what they do, and yet next door, which does the exact same business for the exact same company, for the exact same industry, for the exact same position, they're offering 120, they might think, hmm, am I being underpaid? And it's just value that we can add rather than, I've got a job. You're interested. You know, it 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 doesn't. It's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as that. And I think recruiters sometimes try and overcomplicate it. I know I have in the past. I would try to overcomplicate a very system, very simple system of headhunting. But then I think that you can oversimplify it as well, because it, you've got to recognise that these are people, and you've got to get to know them first. Yeah. So what the, should the candidates uh, ask? Uh, let's say let's talk about uh, a bit about the candidate side. How can they recognize a serious uh, recruiter, a headhunter, and uh, how can they filter them? And uh, what should they ask and uh, inform themselves? So there's two ways, two simple ways a candidate can recognize whether the, the there's a serious recruitment consultant or not is the way that they generally just engage with them. Um, an easy one is looking on the LinkedIn profile. And what I do is I pride myself on the work that I do and I get people who I work mm -hmm. with to, rec to write recommendations on LinkedIn. Because one thing that differentiates me further is my recommendations. So if I have a candidate who's really not interested because they've had such a bad experience, I say, look, look on my LinkedIn. I've sent you a LinkedIn recommendation. Have a look. Look at my recommendations. You can see that I'm who I say I am. I would like to get to know who you are. Another thing for candidates to do is to, is to not close yourself off entirely from agencies. If you have a bad experience, that doesn't mean that the value of a recruitment agency is completely gone. It just means that particular agent or that agency is the wrong one. So a bit like for us networking, net, speak to as many agencies, agencies that you can, if you can. 
spend a few minutes of your time outside of working hours. If that recruitment consultant wants to spend 20, 30, 40 minutes of your time during the day and you do not have it and they don't listen to you, they are not serious. If they can recognize that you're at work and it's probably not the best time to speak and you speak later in the afternoon and they are happy to do that, then, then you have a, an indication that that recruiter is actually sensitive to the situation and is willing to invest time because they've got the, intelli- the emotional intelligence to recognize that it's probably not the right time to speak, which a lot of recruitment consultants don't tend to recognize at first. So, Just interesting, when um, consult, uh, recruitment consultancy agencies uh, look for uh, new uh, workers, uh, do they... Uh, do some uh, tests really to see uh, how good is this person personal's EQ because I think as, as you mentioned it it really looks as this uh, job really requires a lot of emotional uh, of the EQ and um, yeah and uh, I think that's what makes the best uh, recruiter so the question is do agencies really look for the right people uh, for the work or is just uh, luck yeah. to get uh, one that uh, understands uh, people's emotions uh, best. So I just want to make one thing clear, is that my comments cannot be reflective of the industry for recruitment. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not speaking for the industry. The fact is, is I, I don't know, because there's, there are hundreds of thousands of recruitment agencies there. Mm-hmm. And each company's recruitment policy can be different. One thing that has to be recognized is that the majority of consultants start at graduate level. So for them to recognize different scenarios and to develop that emotional intelligence can take time. It can take time. From a personal point of view, EPM Scientific, we are part of Faden International, and we have a policy of hiring graduates from a, from a university. No, that's not to say every person that we hire has, has been you know, a top biller or has, has made loads and loads and loads and loads of money, whatever. But it's an indication that that person has matured through a time in their life to go into the working world and to start a career. There are other agencies that, that don't do that, which, which is absolutely fine. I'm not saying that a degree is going to define your success. Not at all. One of my best friends... His name is Max. He works in Faden International. He doesn't have a university degree. And he is one of the best agents I've ever come across. So that just shows that you don't need a degree. But it's very difficult to differentiate between people who do and do not. Because everyone has emotional intelligence. It's just recruitment in, in itself is a very difficult industry. So for people to it's so fast paced it's so intense that it challenges every single value that you've had or every single concept that you've had i am not the same person that i was when i joined four years ago if anything i would say my emotional intelligence four years ago was pretty bad to be honest it's pretty bad and but one thing that I, I could recognize is that w- what we do, we have a purpose. You know, we're not just 
calling you at work to, to have a chat or to, to, to annoy you. We genuinely feel that we're here to help people get a better situation. As I mentioned before, whether that's personally, practically, financially, professionally. But there's so many challenges to identify different recruiters and different recruitment styles because there isn't one specific recruitment style as well. The way I recruit is very different to the way other people recruit. You know, I'm not as direct as other recruiters. I'm not as, you know, target driven or focus driven as, as other recruiters. I'm, I'm much more relationship driven. It's just a different way of working. It's just different personality types as well. So that is also something to consider when you're speaking to different agents or different candidates as well. So they have completely different personality to you as well. And they may be completely different in their response. They may be very direct. It's not because they don't see value. It's just they don't see value and time being wasted. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of mirror that and match that. And that's where the emotional development comes as well, yeah. by recognizing different people have different personality traits and how we can respond to that. And usually if, if people aren't able to develop or aren't agile enough to respond to different personalities, it's very difficult for them to then develop yeah. further relationships. It's so not it, no, it's something that's really easy to do on the phone. It's much easier in person in the, on the absolutely. phone. It makes it much uh, more difficult. And that's another challenge that I have as well, because not only do the recruitment industry also has some, some negatives, but being an English recruiter for the German market can also be some barriers because I'm not a German native speaker. I have, I'm not local, so to speak. I'm not saying that is because, you know, I have to be local, but usually Germans feel more comfortable speaking to Germans. And they, unfortunately, the, the, the worst reputation, well, I'm not saying the worst, but the reputation usually of, of recruitment, it comes from English recruiters or English speaking recruiters that they've mainly had the most mm -hmm. of the worst experiences or bad experiences. So I have to also navigate between candidates, clients of, oh, you're not a local recruiter. You don't know our local area. You can't come and visit us on site. You can't come and meet the candidates. So why would we want an English recruitment agency over a local one, mm. which is completely valid, absolutely valid. But again, this is where our business model helps us to just consult and explain mm what we do and who we are that yes even though i'm physically in london london is our global headquarters so i manage our quality and regulatory division for europe and switzerland switzerland so we have offices all over the world we have one in london our global headquarters zurich berlin we have in singapore hong kong and then across north america new york san fran etc but our business model works on the fact that we are local specialists and industry specialists. So I have teams who focus on just Germany, just Netherlands, just France, etc. And even then they, they're more local still. So you have consultants who focus on Dusseldorf, Bonn, Dortmund. You have Frankfurt, Stuttgart. Mm. You have the Bavarian region, for example. And that allows us to have that local connection. 
thankfully with the development of technology like LinkedIn and Skype and Fuse and all these different platforms, it can break down barriers of physicality. Yes, there's still the argument that not being in the same room as someone, you don't get the same feel, but you can put enough measures in place because you make a first impression on someone, regardless of whether you're in the same room with them or not. You still yeah. make a first impression. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, it is much more difficult. But, you know, we do, well, before the global pandemic go over regularly, the team in Berlin meet the clients regularly, candidates regularly, <clears throat> transport, infrastructure, you know, it's, it's, it's at such a high level that we also have to come across that as well and being industry specialists again it allows us to give that purpose of why we're actually contacting them and the value added of look i focus in your area it doesn't matter if i'm in london but i focus in your industry so quality and in the frankfurt and stuttgart regions for example you're in frankfurt so you'd understand different constraints to travel times if there's traffic jams if there's certain taxes that are different in different municipalities for example it just allows you to be much more relevant to them because you understand the local mm -hmm. demographics and laws so you can further consult them on changes x y and z if they're relocating but mm -hmm. also to the clients as well because one thing that the majority of recruitment agencies do is that they have a blanket coverage and they don't realize that if you have a local network, that local candidate has a vested interest to be successful locally because you're contributing mm -hmm. to the local economy, you're working in the local businesses, you're putting it back into local businesses. And that's something that a lot of recruitment agencies don't see the value in. And I think that's why a lot of candidates or clients, they get frustrated at more agencies contacting them because they, they're not actually focused locally. Mm. So there's so many different challenges and complexities that you can be forgiven for overcomplicated it. But if you are just simplifying it of stick to one area in one local area, you network, you constantly network with candidates and clients and X, Y, and Z, then you become well-known in that area. You become that go-to recruiter. You become the person who is able to offer quick solutions to immediate problems. And that's another thing that we do well at EPM Scientific across the industry, but we also have access to an international database yeah, as well. Yeah. So, if so it's you do not it uh, internationally uh, in Europe and uh, also uh, overseas or just Europe? So I manage quality and regulatory yeah. for Europe and Switzerland. Then we have offices in North America. Mm -hmm. So we have colleagues who do that, counterparts who do that in North America and Asia as well. Mm -hmm. But EPM Scientific, we cover the discovery, development, and post-market surveillance stages of all life science companies. Yeah. So pharma, biotech, medical devices. So another thing for us to focus on is we split between pharma, biotech, and medical devices, for example. Mm -hmm. And then you have people who's focusing 
um, pharmacology and medical affairs yeah, and yeah. marketing, sales and biostatistics, mm -hmm. for example. So what's interesting is um, when we already dived in into the different um, departments and different uh, sectors. So uh, what is uh, um, the hottest market right now for uh, which, uh, which type of professionals in those industries? <sighs> It's difficult because from from my point of view in quality and managing quality and regulatory mm -hmm. one thing that is really hot is regulatory cmc in large molecules that is a really hot market there's a lot of r d in biotechs at the minute a lot and there's a real need for people who have large molecules with modular three submissions um, that is something that is, is getting a lot of traction. Another one is biostatistics as well, which is in correlation to clinical development, mm -hmm. clinical data. Another one is for medical in virology. You know, the global pandemic has highlighted a real emphasis on a vaccine. There's a debate whether we'll ever find it a vaccine. You know, it's not ever guaranteed, but one thing that is quite impressive is the collaboration and partnerships that you have seen in the industries of companies coming together to combine budgets and resources. Mm. So do you develop. see a big shift already happening in the requirements um, of the companies to, for different professionals to concentrate of, of, on this virology and solving not this necessarily, no. Not necessarily, no, because thank, one, one thing is for certain, we all need medicine, whether that's a vaccine, whether that's paracetamol, yeah. whether that's even nutrients. Yeah, and it won't change. It. So it won't I find change. it's a really powerful market. You can even see it uh, yeah. uh, right now on um, uh, with the stocks. So those are the only ones that are uh, safe and just yes. rising right now, uh, yes. while everything else is uh, pl has plummeted. It's, uh, it's amazing. One thing that is been clear is that there has been shockwaves through the industry, shockwaves through all of industries. From a recruitment point of view, it, it was a very tricky first few weeks because a lot of people didn't know what to do. You know, this is the first time we've gone through a pandemic in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Well, a global pandemic actually yeah. and what happened was you had two things companies restructured and decided that the recruitment is not critical or they decided to speed up the recruitment to get it done as quickly as possible so they didn't need to worry about it and that is true across all different areas now to say that one area is particularly hard is not to necessarily mean one area is, 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 is not still needed. It just means that it's limited. And one thing that allows us as a business to do is that we become a lot more agile in that. The aim was to become what we would call recession-proof. Mm -hmm. So EPM Scientific has been going since 2013. We are part of a umbrella company called Faden International. And Faden International was first established in 2006. And 
or 2004, I think it was. And the first brand that they had is Selbigenic, which is a financial industry. And the financial crash happened in 2008. And that was catastrophic for a financial recruitment company. You know, we still hear tales about it. Funnily enough, there was actually some of the, so some of the finding people of the company are managing directors of the company now. And it's actually been really quite insightful to hear the feedback or the advice on how this is different because you know we're able to because back then they were they were just finances and it was very difficult and they they really had to scrimp and, and hunt but but that is what laid the dna to where we are now as a business because they realized that there is a lot of redundancies and the the the, the market completely crashed but it made them realize that they have to become much more agile they have to see different pockets of industries that may be able to capitalize on and create a new business or create a new vertical. And that's what made them differentiate into the different STEM industries. So we'd now focus on STEM. So we have EPM, which is life sciences, Glowcoms, which is IT and technology. We still have Selby, which is the financial area, but now they have Selby Tech, you know, which is advancing cybercrime and security. We have DSJ, which is OPEX and supply chain. We have DSJ, I've just said DSJ. We also have LVI, who are specialists in construction, water, etc. But that's one of the newer ones. And what that allows us to do is, is be able to identify in different industries and be much more cross-functional. But it also allows us to be more recession proof in that sense because you're able to still work in an industry or industries that are still needed. Yes, we're in a global pandemic, but the financial industry is still moving on. Mm-hmm. The like farmer is still moving. Farm is still moving. Really strong, probably. Really strong. Yeah. And supply chain is still moving. Mm-hmm. LVI had a bit of a bit of a, a dip because there was, um, you know, construction, water, etc. But people still needed water. You still need sterilized water. Mm-hmm. You still need infrastructure. It was just on hold for the time being. Mm-hmm. And I know in, in the US in particular, it's starting to pick up again. One thing for us is that it's it's key for us to spot trends, but it allows us to be much more proactive in the market than reactive. Mm-hmm. So we can understand it. Well, it was difficult to actually plan for a global pandemic. I don't think anyone ever realized. Yeah. No one ever Probably realized. Probably now it. people would uh, would like to be more prepared in the future. They would uh, learn, hopefully, from the, the mistakes. Yeah. Also uh, from the pharmaceutical side and also how uh, the governments uh, prepare for it. Because yeah. uh, as you said, in our lifetime, Something in such a big scale that never happened before. So uh, yeah. people really need uh, to take in consideration such uh, scenarios. But people, probably yeah. governments prepare for war. Uh, probably the, the biggest uh, concern has also yep. uh, always been war. But then we have this invisible enemy, as uh, Trump uh, calls it. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and yeah, uh, then yeah. everybody is uh, very surprised. And then uh, you understand how weak our... Uh, 
or uh, medical inf infrastructure is yeah. uh, for such uh, scenarios and um, it's really concerning it is so, yeah so what's interesting you you said that uh, uh, people need to be agile and you mentioned some um, key Uh, professions in, in the pharma so do you find it it's the same for each country or uh, it's, it deviates from country to country and the, each country has uh, maybe its yeah. own focus point for example uh, Germany, UK so uh, what are the most um, uh, most interesting uh, professions there uh, in the pharma if people also want to relocate when they say okay I cannot find a job in Germany maybe I'll go to UK, maybe I'll go to France Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of the Qualitox podcast. If you did, please consider sharing it and subscribing. Stay compliant and see you in the next one.